Hello and welcome to Lasting Values. I'm today's host, James Gifford, Head of Sustainable and Impact Advisory at Credit Suisse. And we're running a three-part podcast series about climate technologies you never knew existed. Last month, we looked at emerging technologies for climate mitigation. So that's innovations that try to avoid and reduce emissions of heat-trapping greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. This month, we're looking at emerging technologies for climate adaptation. So that includes technologies that help us to adjust to current and expected effects of climate change. Cities and regions are facing increasingly severe weather patterns such as floods, heat waves, hurricanes and drought, and natural disasters such as wildfires and landslides. Some regions and populations are more vulnerable to the effects of climate change than others, leading to increased inequality. And the causes and effects of climate change are incredibly complex. So we need to focus on developing technologies that help communities adapt to changing weather patterns. That's equally as urgent as technologies that address climate change. That's Angela Saxby, Senior Sustainable Investment Analyst at Credit Suisse. She says that a focus on climate mitigation means that climate adaptation sometimes can be overlooked. We need to develop a deeper understanding of climate volatility to be able to develop effective adaptation solutions. Technologies like satellite imagery and advanced modeling tools, for example. Building solutions that enable resilience can be a really cost-effective way of protecting communities, livelihoods, and businesses. To understand this area better, let's look at some climate adaptation startups in the industrial sector. First up, the growing use of air conditioners in homes and offices around the world will be one of the top drivers of global electricity demand over the next three decades and one of the most important ways to adapt to higher temperatures. That's according to the International Energy Agency. In fact, they just last year declared air conditioning as the biggest blind spot in our fight against climate change. And that's because um, as the planet warms, people are buying more and more air conditioning and also the load of existing air conditioning starts to increase. So with using liquid desiccants, we have the capacity to reduce the energy consumption and also provide better overall cooling to buildings because those air conditioning systems that use liquid desiccants or, or desiccants increase their efficiency and their cooling capacity as the temperatures outside increase, which is different than that of a conventional that's Daniel Betts from Blue Frontier, which has developed an ultra-efficient air conditioner using liquid desiccant cooling. This is three to five times more efficient than a conventional air conditioner. That results in energy savings. That, uh, on average, we're seeing energy savings of around 80%. For the entire spectrum, we're seeing between 50 and more than 90% reductions in energy. Not only is it efficient, it also stores electrical energy. The desiccant is recharged and stored when the electricity is the cleanest or lowest cost and later used to deliver cooling when electricity is dirty or costly. So you can decide when you're going to regenerate or make the liquid desiccant high concentration again, and you can decide to consume it at a different time, which means that you can couple the liquid desiccant air conditioner to only consume electricity when renewable energy is plentiful. 
dust solving one of the biggest problems of radiation, which is that they consume their electricity all at the same time in the worst moment possible when the grid is struggling to be able to keep up with that increasing demand. And also when renewable energy tends to be weighed. And so in doing so, it can reduce dramatically the cost of grid infrastructure that is required to get us to renewable energy, making air conditioning a solution to that problem, to the grid problem, so not just to an efficiency problem. Desiccant cooling has been around for some time. Why is now the time to build out your tech? Well, the technology has been around as a dehumidification technology for certain niche markets, but it has typically been uh, expensive, overly complex, and the liquid desiccants or the desiccants that are typically used are expensive and also tend to be corrosive. And so it can never come in contact, never come in contact with a metal. At Blue Frontier, we have developed liquid desiccants that are non-corrosive, which allows us to create heat exchangers that are made of aluminum, which increases the overall heat transfer. It reduces the size of the unit and makes it such that we can actually create systems that are low cost and competitive with conventional air conditioners. Blue Frontier's goal is to put a significant dent on buildings greenhouse gas emissions and to allow widespread global access to air conditioning without harming the planet. Air conditioners as a service show the importance of innovation in business processes at the same time as the innovation in technologies. It allows us to break the perverse incentive that exists in the majority of buildings. So most people that buy air conditioners are the building owners. And the majority of people that are in the buildings tend to be tenants. And therefore, um, the building owner has a very low incentive to buy something for efficiency sake, because they don't pay the electric bill in most cases. The tenants pay the electric bill, and they have very little say in what goes into that building. Therefore, by creating a, as a service business model, we are responding to the tendency of the building owner to want to maintain air conditioning outside, or, or capital equipment outside of their balance sheet. And also, it makes it such that we are zero upfront cost for the implementation of these units. The savings that we're creating for the tenants are, are significant, enormous. And in doing so, it allows us to charge a subscription that covers that energy savings, therefore creating a win-win situation between the building owner and the tenant. Next up, we're talking to Lucky Ahmed from ClimateX. ClimateX uses vast amounts of data to create realistic geophysical models, sandboxes, if you will, to simulate climate scenarios and therefore understand the risk and uncertainty of climate change on specific locations. The digital twin simulation is a way of taking a lot of data from satellites, remote sensing instruments, to compile a physically realistic view of the world around us. And that becomes a bit of a sandbox that we can play around with. So we can switch up modes of physics and we can do a lot of interesting things to simulate different weather events, for example, or understand how those events will interact with the built environment, for example, and what that then means in terms of broader impacts in the world and society. So when it comes to climate adaptation, the idea is to build a complete view of everything that could happen on the Earth's surface 
like the rainfall, sea level rises, etc., at any given point in time tied to a particular climate scenario? We don't know what the future looks like. So we know that climate change is driving accelerated increases in frequencies and severity of things like flooding, substance, bias, and so on. But what that future that we're facing towards actually will be, we don't know the answers. So we have to start simulating every possibility when it comes to the different futures linked to climate change scenarios down to really high resolutions. And that's one of the challenges that we can solve through the, the digital twin approach, because I can stress individual locations based on what the building materials are, the shape of the land, um, we can look at vegetation. So all the things that will affect the impact of rainfall, for example, that then drives flooding. So these are the types of questions that we can start to answer quite precisely with digital twin technologies. Climate-based decision-making remains challenging for many industries. I'm keen to know how the finance industry or governments, for example, use digital twin technology to take more intelligent measures on climate and climate adaptation. So the question first and foremost is where is the risk today and how does that risk evolve over time under different scenarios? And when that risk does materialize, what impact does that have to my um, balance sheet and to my PL? So how does my loss exposure change? So these are data sets that you can get from Climate X because we have modeled all of that across all the building stock in Europe and across America. So that's already done. And so it's easily accessible. Um, but it changes the way that you then build your strategy for how and where you want to lend. Am I right in thinking that the main focus of the use cases is flooding? It depends where you are and when you are. So. In some places, it's true, flooding is often seen as the number one hazard type that people are interested in. But increasingly, there are other types of hazards that are becoming more relevant. For example, we're now seeing in the UK, there's been an increase in interest in wildfire risk. So nobody really thought about it before, but over the summer last year, 40 properties were subject to wildfire just outside of London. So suddenly everybody's interested and insurers are thinking about it now when they did it in the past. There are other more chronic risks, which take longer to materialize, but can become really costly. Subsidence, for example. So in the UK, there was a 400% increase in subsidence claims to insurers over the summer because we hit that 40 degree temperature day, and that caused um, a lot of foundations to start to crack. And so it, it really depends where you are as to which type of hazard you're interested in. The most important thing to do is to take a 360 view across all of the key risk types that are relevant um, and, and, and then make smart decisions about the adaptation measures that you'll take to protect yourself against those risks. To recap, we've discussed air conditioners using liquid desiccant cooling and then digital twin technology. Now to Osmosis, who have developed plastic membrane filters capable of separating out gas molecules, for example, CO2, which could be used for a number of applications like carbon capture and separating impurities in natural gas in order to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Here's Francesco Benedetti, co-founder and CEO of Osmosis. So membranes can really be a tool that we can use to fight climate change. And the main reason why this is the case is because they are aimed to replace some of the traditional and energy intense ways that we use to perform chemical molecular separations in general. So when I mean chemical molecular separations, I literally mean unmixing, separating, purifying molecules from one another. And the reason why 
these processes add up to 15% of the world's energy consumption and 16% of carbon emissions. It's because they're literally everywhere. They define the backbone of industries like chemical, petrochemical energy industries. And uh, I, as I already mentioned, the technologies that today are running these operations and these, uh, you know, separations, these processes are very energy intense. The reason why they're very energy intense is because they are mostly based on thermal processes that require a lot of heat to operate. Okay, so membranes are incredibly fancy filters that can replace energy-intensive ways of separating molecules. Yes, let me give you like an example that probably is very tangible. So we breathe air, right? Air is made of oxygen and nitrogen, uh, around, you know, 21% of oxygen, and then the rest is nitrogen, and then some other small molecules, including some CO2 and other impurities. Air, once becomes a liquid, you can distill it to obtain oxygen and nitrogen, okay? And this process is extremely energy intense, as you can imagine. So an alternative would be, can you develop a filter that is precise enough to be able to separate molecules that are so similar to one another like oxygen and nitrogen that are literally two very small molecules uh, that are also very similar properties. And this is basically what membranes uh, that we have developed can do. And this is just an example to, to say, hey, we can get rid of processes that are very energy intense. We can engineer filters to be able to distinguish molecules from one another that are extremely similar, and we can achieve the same type of uh, outcome that you would get with a very intense process like cryogenic distillation. So cryogenic distillation is taking air, pressurizing it and compressing it down until you reach a liquid. And osmosis has new technology to help in this process. So we have been developing, designing and scaling polymer materials, which is basically another fancy word to basically say plastic, but uh, like it's a more, more refined type of plastic and very much engineered. It's a special polymer that when manufactured into very thin films, very thin layers, which basically we call membranes, have properties that are exceptional in separating gas molecules from one another because of the nature of the polymer that we are using. And the good news is that within the family of materials that we've been developing, they are extremely capable of really spotting the smallest differences between gas molecules. So there's a number of applications like carbon capture, hydrogen purification, renewable natural gas upgrading, or as I mentioned before, oxygen nitrogen separation that can be performed with the same exact material. So that rounds up this episode's discussion around some of the climate technologies perhaps you never knew existed. Something that always stands out to me in these conversations is the impact of the policy and regulatory environment on startups. The US Inflation Reduction Act, or the IRA, raises awareness around the problem space these technology companies are trying to solve for. Absolutely. So to me, the IRA plays a very important role in bringing awareness on the problems that we're trying to solve and really bringing the right stakeholders and attention around these challenges that uh, are really picking up uh, and, uh, you know, 
it's really important. And I think for what we're doing to bring the awareness around there, there's a couple of very specific things that for what we're building are very important. One of which is around tax credit and incentives for low carbon hydrogen production. So if you can get to the production of hydrogen below a certain amount of CO2 equivalent emission for every kilogram of hydrogen that you can process, that can help. At the same time, for carbon capture and utilization is also space uh, that there's a, a real concrete tax credit and incentives. So it's really fantastic to see how uh, it has been bringing attention over these topics and awareness that we are nurturing, we building up here. Early market entry of technology is almost always more expensive because you're competing with established large manufacturers with established supply chains and that have a lot of buying power and very large balance sheets. So in order to create sort of a second point of ramping up to bring product to market, those incentives allow us to counteract the effects of low volume manufacturing, high cost products to transform them into high volume, low cost products that would have global impact. And so accelerating and making being a catalyst for that is really important from a policy standpoint. And the IRA does that, but also a lot of states have created programs that we are taking advantage of to accelerate and create a catalyst for bringing this technology into market faster than otherwise. Once again, we end our podcast by discussing the importance of the Inflation Reduction Act in the context of climate. We dedicated a whole episode to this act if you want to learn more about that. Check out Will the Inflation Reduction Act Jumpstart Climate Action on our Apple and Spotify channels. Now that we've covered climate mitigation technology in part one of this special series and climate adaptation technologies in part two, our next and last climate series podcast will be talking about nature and biodiversity. So tune in to hear about other climate tech solutions that are flying under the radar from microbes to food to trees. And follow us on Apple or Spotify. That's Lasting Values, the sustainability podcast by Credit Suisse. Should a bank clean up the ocean? We engage with companies creating ocean impact and preventing plastic pollution practices. We're on it. The information provided herein constitutes general marketing material. It is not investment advice nor otherwise based on a consideration of the personal circumstances of the addressee, nor is it a result of objective or independent research. The information provided herein is not legally binding and it does not constitute an offer or invitation to enter into any type of financial transaction. The information provided herein was produced by a member of Credit Suisse Group AG and or its affiliates, hereafter CS, with the greatest of care and to the best of its knowledge and belief. The information and views expressed herein are those of CS at the time of writing and are subject to change at any time without notice. They are derived from sources believed to be truthful and reliable. CS provides no guarantee with regard to the completeness and accuracy of the information and, where legally possible, does not accept liability for any direct, indirect, incidental, specific or consequential losses that might arise from making use of the information. If nothing is indicated to the contrary, all figures are unaudited.
The information provided herein is solely for information purposes and the exclusive use of the recipient and is not intended and should not be construed as legal, accounting, tax nor financial advice provided by CS. If this material is issued and distributed in the US, it is by CSSU, a member of NYSE, FINRA, SIPC and the NFA, and CSSU accepts responsibility for its contents. Clients should contact their sales representative and execute transactions through a Credit Suisse subsidiary or affiliate in their home jurisdiction, unless governing law permits otherwise. This material is intended for institutional investors only, not for retail distribution. It may not be reproduced, neither in part nor in full, without the prior written permission of CS. Important information for investors in Germany. The information and views expressed herein are those of CS at the time of writing and are subject to change at any time without notice. They are derived from sources believed to be reliable. CS provides no guarantee with regard to the content and completeness of the information. If nothing is indicated to the contrary, all figures are unaudited. The information provided herein is for the exclusive use of the recipient. Copyright 2021 Credit Suisse Group AG and or its affiliates. All rights reserved.